Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Secret Library Podcast is brought to you by the community over at Patreon. You can check out our page and support the show at patreon.com slash secretlibrary. This is episode 137 of the Secret Library Podcast. Before we get to our guest, I have an exciting announcement, which is that my latest book, Story Arcana, Using Tarot for Writing, is now available for pre-order online wherever books are sold. The publication date is February 12th, but you can get all in the queue to receive your book right away by ordering now. So that is the exciting announcement. And in order to celebrate this event, I was very excited to have Teresa Reed back on the show. You will remember Teresa, who is an incredible tarot reader and also the creator and author of the tarot coloring book, who was on before to discuss that book. She is now back on to discuss the curse of ambition when she had two ideas for two different books and then wrote them both in the space of a year. So we discuss writing routines, the impact of the shadow, diving into the dark side of ideas, what tarot does to transform ideas into something workable as a writer, as well as the other nitty gritty of everyday writing and how she gets all of the incredible things she does done between working with clients as a tarot reader, writing a column, writing numerous newsletters, working on three podcasts makes me feel like an amateur with just one at the moment, but... All of those things coming together to create two more books coming out this year. So I know you'll be thrilled to hear more from Teresa. So here's Teresa Reed. Hi, Teresa. Thank you so much for coming back on. Hi, Caroline. I am so excited to be here and honored to be back on. Thanks for having me. Well, we had sort of a side conversation recently about... Um, a situation you got yourself in, which was having too much to write rather than oh, so many people worry about like writer's block or not having enough to write or, oh no, what if I run out of ideas? That does not seem to have been your problem. And you use the phrase, I believe the curse of ambition. So for anyone out there who's suffering from too many ideas, I wanted to hear more about that experience and what do you think got you into that experience? And then maybe we can go further later and see how you got yourself through it. Right on. Well, you know, I like to say, I like to blame it on being a Gemini, first of all. I mm. am an idea machine. And I wish there were like three or four of me to do all the ideas because I have a list of ideas I still want to do. And I've got a very ambitious work schedule. You know, I, I work as a full-time tarot reader, but I also run two podcasts well, I, technically, I run three podcasts. One is one that I share with my friend Bree Saucy, um, and I blog regularly. You know, so so I've got a heavy writing and recording schedule in addition to client work. And I ended up last year agreeing to do two books 
because I got cocky. You know, I'm a very, (laughs) (laughs) I'm very efficient. I'm very disciplined and I have this extremely disciplined writing schedule. So when my new publisher approached me for two books, I said, well, yeah, I could do that. No problem. So I decided to do it. And one of the books I thought would be, you know, fairly easy because I was doing a, uh, I was co-writing a book. Mm. Uh, it's, it's a book called Terrible Troubled Times. It's coming out. And I co-wrote it with Shaheen Miro based on a class that we taught. So I thought, okay, well, that's easy. There's two people working on that. And then the other book, well, yeah, I can even do them all at the same time. So I had this, mm. this big plan. Uh, yeah, big plan that I was going to write a little in this book and a little in the other book every day, in addition to all my blogging and my client work. Wow. Let me tell you, that was the dumbest thing I ever did. I have never been so stressed about my writing in my entire life. Um, I had to really, really be disciplined. I always thought I was disciplined. Well, let me tell you, this got to be to the point where there was no social life. There was, everything was focused on getting the work done, getting the work done, getting the work done. Once I got the first book with Shaheen done and writing with a, with a collaborator, by the way, you're still writing and editing and working together. So it wasn't like I'm just kicking back and Shaheen's doing a whole bunch of writing and writing half the book. There's a lot of conversations that need to happen. There's a lot of figuring out how it goes together, how we can work together. So once I got that one done, I'm like, okay, the second book now, and so I'm plugging away on that second book, and this book is a big book. And 60,000 words into the book, word died and ate my entire <gasps> man. Oh, no. Yeah, so this is why, again, ambition. So I did, I followed every single step to try to recoup that. And the thing is, I had saved, and there was just like about three weeks where I didn't back up. Oh. So. What ended up happening is um, I had the work in chunks in different places, but, and I looked and looked and looked, there was no way I could recoup this. So I said, you know what, you're going to have to pin this back together like Frankenstein from the stuff that you do have. So technically when I was done with that, it turned out I lost 20,000 words. Still, that is a lot of work. It's so much work. And let me tell you, if you ever thought you were disciplined, now you're really disciplined. That pretty much meant that there were no weekends now because every weekend was catching up on all the work I lost. So it, I made my deadlines. I got everything done by the deadlines, and I'm very much about deadlines. But let me tell you, this was not an easy task. So my ambition and my cockiness, I learned a brutal lesson. And um, I don't recommend that for anybody unless you have the luxury of having, let's say, a partner who financially supports you and you can sit home and take months off for writing. I don't have that luxury, you know, so I have to work full time plus write. Don't get me wrong. I love my work. I get to work is what I think about it. I get to do my work and I get to write, but boy, it would have been really nice to have at least three weeks to do nothing but write those books. Oh my goodness. So Okay, I want to break this down a little bit, because you said you have a really disciplined writing schedule. And then there were stages in which it got more disciplined. So can we go through step by step and say what your original discipline schedule was? And then in addition to getting rid of weekends, what changed as you got more and more disciplined with your schedule? 
Okay, so I'll tell you my exact schedule for how yes. I do everything because I do a lot, you know, but um, I'm very efficient. So what, the first thing is when I get up in the morning, you know, I do my little meditation and my stuff to get myself centered because I never want to approach any sort of work without that. And then the first thing I do is I take care of my little social media stuff, which only takes me about 15 minutes. It doesn't take me long at all. And then, you know, depending on the day after I'm, of course, done taking care of the cats, which is the most important thing for the day. Absolutely. Um, then depending on the day, if it's a Monday or a Wednesday, those are days that are full on writing and uh, days where I'm not working with clients. So those are days where I get a lot of writing done. I will often be writing for, you know, hours at a time. Um, and that's that. So on the other days that are client days, uh, when I have my regular duties, let's say Thursday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, those are my client days. I always have time in the morning after I'm done doing my social media carved out to take care of regular writing duties. So, you know, on Thursday, I might be finishing up my astrology column. Mm. On Friday, that's a day that I might be fine tuning my blog post for the weekend. Um, you know, there, there's all kinds of things that are split up into little things. I even split my horoscopes up when I do them, um, where I will do one day where I just do the basic layout. And then every day for 12 days, I do each sign. So that way I'm not doing it all at once. Smart. And so everything is bro broken up into chunks that are manageable. And so on the days where I'm seeing clients, I'm probably doing about two hours a day of writing. And then so, how many hours a day are you speaking with clients on those days? It depends. You know, uh, it depends on how many clients I'm working with that day. So usually I would say about five or six hours a day with clients. Got it. So that's about it. And, you know, I'm getting older now and capacity is very, very different. People don't realize that, you know, I'm in my mid fifties and I've been doing my tarot work as a professional for almost 30 years. And your capacity is way different when you're in your thirties versus way where you are in your fifties. In the fifties, what I find is that, um, I work less with clients and, um, Later this year, I'm going to be trimming back a little bit more because I want to carve out more space for writing and creative projects. And I'm going to be in a position to do that because my house is going to be paid off. Nice. So suddenly it's like, oh, I don't have to come up with any of that money. So now I can dial back a little bit and that creates more spaciousness for me to do the creative things that I really want to do. So, but, you know, yeah, so I, I deal with clients plenty um, and four days a week with clients. That's it. Right. That's still, I mean, that's a lot of work. I think that's really helpful for people to know because I think it's, I've been reading um, this book, Deep Work, which I'm sure everybody has heard of, and it's been on my to be read pile mm -hmm. for ages, but getting into it. And so I think having that dedicated chunk of time to write is extremely helpful when you mm -hmm. can really dive into it and not be kind of scattered all over the place. I mean, right. I think that makes a big difference. Do you find that that was the case? Absolutely. And, you know, having things like broken down and chunked out with your regular work life and your regular writing duties really helps. So when I had all this extra writing, what that meant is getting up earlier to get in another hour or two. And then when all the crap hit the fan, it meant my Sundays, which is my day off, 
Mm-hmm. Sunday is my day to play. It's my day to bake. It's my day to cook elaborate meals. It's my day to watch Game of Thrones and obsess over that, <laughs> you know, which, you know, uh, all those fun things. But my Sundays were gone. I had to sit my butt down and write because I'm not going to let my publisher down. That's important to me. So how long did you maintain this schedule with no days off, getting up an hour early, writing every spare minute? A full, a full year. Whoa, that's a long time yeah. to keep that up. Well, here's the thing is once I got the, the last manuscript in, then I had to catch up on other stuff. Right. So it, it ended up being a full year. And I had to say no to lots of things that people wanted me to get involved in. And this year I'm saying yes to a few things. And now I'm finding myself saying, why did you say yes to that? You're finally getting some breathing room, you idiot. And here you are saying, OK, I'll I'll teach that class with you. <laughs> you know, so that's the other thing. Um, I had to say no to a lot of things. And, you know, what's interesting, too, is how mad people get when you don't want to socialize. Interesting. It's bizarre. It's like, oh, they take it very personally. It's like, you guys, I have a book to write. I have two books to write. But it's so funny because I don't know if you experience this. I think some people assume when you're an author that somehow you're just laying around and you've got all the time in the world and um, you should have plenty of time to play and socialize because they don't see it as real work. Right. And I found that really bizarre. I'm like, I'm writing two books. How real does this need to be for you guys? I think there's a, there's several things that I find are true. I mean, the one thing that's that's helping me at the moment is that we moved to another country and, and we don't know as many people here yet. So mm-hmm. there are fewer people who are distressed when I just disappear and write for a while. But the thing that I've noticed is that this has been true when I've done work that was done primarily from home on my own schedule versus working in an office, that there's a sense that if you're working from home or if you make your own schedule, then you can also break your own schedule and that that's mm-hmm. an easy thing to do. And I think people who write have this all the time, like, oh, you can do that later. You can do it any time. Oh, yeah. and. I don't think people, I mean, everybody listening to the show is probably just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're preaching to the choir, but that how fragile those routines are. If one little oh, yeah. bit of it, if you do it at the wrong time of day, I can't write in the afternoon or in the evening on the novel no. at all. Period. Nope, I'm the same way. I don't like to write in the evening. In the evening, it's time for a glass of wine and Game of Thrones or one of my other crummy shows that I like to watch, like 90 Day Fiance. I, don't, I have to check out at that time. I'm not in the brain to write. Morning and early afternoon is when I'm on. And, you know, it's so interesting, too, about um, running a home-based business. So, you know, uh, my tarot clients, too, I've had to really let them know when you're, when your appointment is scheduled, you cannot cancel at the last minute. You cannot expect me to switch things around for you. I don't have room to do that. And right. they think like I'm I'm being fake with that. I'm like, I don't have the room to move that. It it's it has to be a strict schedule in order for me to take care of my clients well, to show up for them totally present, and to do all the creative things that I am committed to. Definitely. So I can't move around. Definitely. You know, it's funny. I think people assume if you're a lawyer you know, that they can respect that. But if you're doing some creative work that again, somehow your schedule is malleable and mine isn't not at all. Well, I think in some ways being a writer, being like taking it seriously has as much to do with learning how to say no in a way that works as it is about sitting down and, you know, writing things down on the page because there's so much you have to move out of the way in order to get that time to sit down and write. And it's so easy to let it get in get eaten up by other tasks and other distractions. 
Oh, yeah, there's plenty of distractions. Believe me, I can find so many things to distract me. That's why also, you know, I have a thing where I will text my daughter in the morning saying, don't call me between this time and that time. Mm. Because my, my children and I talk every day. I'm very, very close with my kids. And, you know, we're always talking. We're always texting each other. We're super tight. But I have to make sure that there is nothing getting in the way of me doing my thing. And my husband knows to stay out of my office <laughs> when it's writing time. Because, you know, he's an artist and a writer, too. And sometimes if I go into his office when he's doing something, he he gets short with me. It's not because he's being mean, but because it breaks the concentration. It breaks the spell. And when I'm doing a tarot reading or when I'm writing, it really is like I'm in a spell. I'm in an altered state. I'm in a different frame of mind. So I cannot have distractions around me because it breaks that. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, I'm interested in, in, so you have written and are continuing to write books about tarot, but I'm wondering how the tarot plays a role in your creative process for you. Tarot plays a huge role in my creative process because, well, first of all, I'm a very visual person. I'm a visual person because I actually have hearing issues. So I've always been very visual. And I also am somebody, I love art. I appreciate art. I do my own art. I'm, I, I always say I'm not very good. My husband's convinced like I should be doing more art. Mm. But the pictures and the images just, they spur insights. So if you're using it in intuitive work, of course it spurs interpretations. But sometimes you could be sitting with a card, like, you know, the Queen of Cups. And you might be looking at her and looking at that big ornate cup that she's holding. And you might find yourself starting to ask, what is inside that cup? what's in there. And that starts spurring the imagination. And the next thing you know, you're looking for those answers. And it might be leading to stories, it might be leading to blog posts, it might be leading to other ideas, what's in that cup? What is she looking at? What is she getting out of that? And that may sound really silly. But for people who are visually inspired, you know, everything that I see inspires me to write or maybe even to take photographs. I love photography. That's my other hobby that I really want to get more into. I love walking around and looking for tarot in everyday life and taking pictures of it. Because I think that's so cool. I think in the tarot deck, it's 78 cards that represent every facet of human life. I can go out there, I can find that queen of cups. I can find that cup, that beautiful cup if I go looking for it. And I mean, so it becomes like this tool that might inspire me. Or maybe I'm walking around and I see something I'm like, wow, that makes me think immediately of the Six of Pentacles. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe if I see a church where someone's handing out blessings to people or blessing their, their animals, I might think right away the Six of Cups, or maybe I'll think of the Hierophant. So I see everything through a tarot lens. And tarot is endlessly inspiring for my creative process. Now, there's also some things that I love to do for creativity. Like I might take, if I'm really having one of those moments where my brain is just like, eh, not in a good place, <laughs> and I'm not, you know, tapping into creativity, I'll lay out cards and I'll form like what I call a storyboard. And then I'll look at it as a story. So let's go with our Queen of Cups again. So let's say I put down the Queen of Cups and the Lovers and the Five of Cups. So I might look at those cards and I say, I see a blog post now, now right here about what to do when your relationship ends suddenly, mm. you know, or maybe I might look at that if I'm a fiction writer, 
I might look at this as a story about a woman who falls in love and experiences a great tragedy that brings her away from her her beloved and she's left alone and how did that happen what was what was the circumstances there I might be able to create a whole story around that just by looking at these images that's something I definitely have played with as well. I find that the tarot is really wonderful as a prompt and also as a way to look at subtext and what's happening underneath. Because I think there's nothing worse for me than really flat dialogue that is like, did you buy the milk? No, I did not buy the milk. Well, isn't that a shame? Now we have no milk. But if this conversation right. is really about, well, is is somebody having an affair? Then... I find that pulling cards for the layers underneath the actual conversation can give all kinds of insight. And from what you said before, you've been doing some writing about the tarot and exploring the shadow, which I'm really eager to hear about. Yeah, well, you know, Shaheen Miro is an amazing intuitive. And I, I used to, I followed him online for a while. And then we actually met at some book signing that I was doing and just hit it off like a house on fire. He's just a remarkable um, young reader. And he's very mystical, very interesting. And like me, he's very interested in doing like deep work, but also we're interested in what's going on in the world. And we started having a conversation about how so many people were feeling lately so hopeless and so dark. Uh, and it just seemed like a lot of people were going through really, really intense stuff. And so we started playing around with the idea about doing a class on tarot for shadow work. And so we, we called the tarot for troubled times and we explored how to use the birth cards to find out, you know, the energy that you're carrying and how to work with that to not just heal your shadows and what the possible shadows are around that birth card, but also if you're looking to make a difference in the world, figuring out how to do that in a way that makes sense for your energy. So we ended up, the book became this whole thing about healing yourself, showing up in the world in a way that makes sense for you. Um, we came up with all kinds of things around activism and also some of the dark things people were dealing with at our tarot table. I mean, I had a lot of people coming to me who were dealing recently and in the last, I would say the last three years, with loved ones who are suffering from addiction. Mm. Now that's a really heavy loaded subject. And that's something that's very near and dear to my heart because I've had a lot of experiences with addicts in my life and, um, you know, grew up in a household where there was a lot of heavy drinking. So for me, that's a subject that's very natural for me. I also had a lot of clients coming to me with death and, and here's the interesting thing. Death is a very taboo subject in tarot. Most tarot readers won't touch it. I go there because I also am very, I'm actually quite comfortable at dealing around the issues that people come into when a loved one is dying or has passed. I've had a lot of people die in my life from very many different types of circumstances. And there's so much taboo talking around grieving or dealing with difficult relatives when an elderly person's you know, nearing the end of life, there's so many loaded subjects in there and so many archetypes that we all play. So, you know, those are subjects that I'm quite comfortable with. And um, Shaheen and I really started playing with these ideas. How do we deal with grief? How do we deal with loss? How do we deal with those parts of ourselves that are dark and we don't like to face and deal with? And so that's what prompted the book. That's amazing. 
how was it? I mean, I find whenever I'm writing about a subject that that subject tends to appear in my life at a very strong huh? intensity. Like, oh, if you're going to teach other people about this, we're going to hit you extra hard with it. So how did that go for you to be writing about the shadow? Did you find that happen to you? Well, you know, what I found is it, it just showed up on my tarot table again and again and again. Ah, uh, that's It's like, well, this is better. interesting. Yeah. It's like, well, this is interesting. It's like, obviously, um, it feels like the universe is trying to say, here's, here's another situation. Now, how are you going to help this person? And so a lot of the shadow work ended up being me serving my clients more than anything. And That's... I had some people, some dark stuff. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, and again, I like to go where readers don't go. So I'm okay dealing with that dark stuff. I've got your back. I think it's important. And I think it's, I think it's important both in books that are out there as well as mm -hmm. in working directly with people, because I think there are also subjects that people are not comfortable writing about, or they feel like, oh, this is too dark. People can't handle it. And as a result, so many people feel like, oh, there isn't room for me, or I'm experiencing something really dark. Is that crazy? Am I not allowed to talk about this? So I think it's really important so people feel less alone. Absolutely. You know, it's one of the interesting things that I also found myself dealing with are clients who are who are struggling with relatives who had really terrible, debilitating terminal illnesses. And they had a lot of negative feelings around it, mm. that they didn't feel safe expressing anywhere except with me. Now think about how heavy that is here, you've got a relative, and they're going through this horrific thing. And you're feeling resentful. And then you're feeling guilty about that. Right. Think about that. That is some heavy shadow work. But that's something we don't want to talk about. Everybody wants to play the role of a saint when somebody is sick. Talking about things like, I feel resentful that this person is sucking up all my time and energy. It's very interesting. I saw this thing uh, on the news. There is a lifestyle guru, B. Smith, and she got diagnosed with Alzheimer's um, many a couple of years ago. I don't remember how long. But her husband's been taking care of, care of her, and she's got a pretty, you know, advanced. She had early onset uh, Alzheimer's. Well, her husband got a girlfriend, and people are up in arms about that. There, and he's just like, "Look, I love my wife. I'm taking care of her, but my life became very small when it was just focused on that. So I got a partner. Now, for anybody else who's going to be not looking at." this situation with a really objective thing, they might look and say, look at this guy. You know, he's just cheating on his wife. And it's like, but there are so many layers when you're dealing with grieving and stuff that we're not looking at. We have to look at all sides of the coin. And, you know, it's really about if you're a reader, you got to be compassionate with that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's always different layers to situations like that. Of course, I think of a situation like that. And I think, Ooh, that sounds like a novel to me. Yes. Um, it's terrible. I mean, it I mean this novel. is, yeah, this is my guilty thing is that I see horrible things happen. Or even when horrible things happen to me, I perpetually say to myself, okay, this isn't a terrible situation. This is just really good material. And I think that's maybe something that happens to writers. I'm not sure if I'm the only one who thinks that way. Well, no, I think you're right. And I think also for me, I've had lots of tragedy in my life and lots of loss and really hard things that have happened to me. But what's interesting is I often find, and this is so weird, when I've gone through some really awful things, it gives me the experience to get someone else through it. Mm. So when someone sits down at the tarot table, you know, if they've been through a situation, for example, with a loved one who dies from a heroin um, overdose, I have experience with that. 
I know all about the rehabs, the interventions, what you go through, and the terrible guilt you feel when they die. You know, I know that. So I can sit down at that table and not judge. I can sit down, and I'm prepared now. So every horrible thing that's ever happened to me, I don't look at it as, oh, my God, woe is me. I'm a victim. I'm like, Teresa, you needed to do that so you could be compassionate. Because if you don't experience something, sometimes it's very abstract. Definitely. How do you feel that the, because I, my experience with using the cards myself, as well as having other people, including you read for me, is that they, they sort of transform. There's almost like a way that they metabolize the experience into something that feels much more like a lesson or a positive growth experience, or I found just something that happened can be transformed into a story like mm-hmm. for a writing purpose, what do you think it is about the cards that has this ability to transform difficult experiences into something productive? Well, you know, they have the archetypes. Every right. card is an archetype and archetypes are universal. And, and every archetype has a story and stories are very healing for people. I think of when I was a kid growing up with Aesop's fables. Mm-hmm. And how much I loved those when I was a child. I really enjoyed all the little stories and the morals and all of those things that I learned from reading those things. Same with fairy tales. And when you think about tarot or creative works, you know, it really helps to, again, link kind of those universal things that everybody goes through at one time or another. But it infuses then the lesson or the moral that comes out of it because, you know, everything whether we're talking about a life experience, whether we're talking about a tarot card, whether we're talking about a novel, it's all connected and everything gives us an opportunity for growth. And I think you see that in all the images of the tarot, just like you can see it in any good book that you pick up. I think it's so important. Again, this, this feeling of coming back to there's, I think about Brene Brown's work as well, this idea Uh of people feeling incredible shame about certain kinds of emotional experiences. But just as you said, when people are able to look at a card or they're able to read a book that reflects back a similar experience to one they've had, there's a way that that reduces the experience of shame and makes it feel more like, okay, this is what makes me human. This is what makes me, this is what makes me belong. I like to say no shame, no blame. Right. No matter what mistakes you make, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what horrible things have happened around you or in your life, shame, does do, shame doesn't do anything good and neither does blame. All it does is it keeps you in this spiral that is very, very negative and it doesn't help you to grow. Instead, being able to bring compassion for yourself or other people who are involved in the situation is always the answer for transcending it. And that's why shadow work is so important because shadow work is all wrapped up in shame. Definitely. It's always shame. And even when you think about, and, and fear, I mean, the shadow is shame and fear, you know, which kind of in a way are both sides of the same coin. But um, when we go into those mindsets, it just doesn't help. We have to get beyond that. Tarot can help. Reading stories can help. Talking with a therapist can help. You know, there's so many good ways to work around those those feelings because they're just not productive. No. And I think that when you think about writing stories, I think that the best ones that I've read, the ones that I've connected to the most, are the ones that weren't afraid to include those aspects of Uh the story, even though they are scary and difficult to write, I imagine for the writer. Yeah. 
Like, They're scary and difficult to write. It's just like f seeing that stuff in real life. You know, how many times do we go and we're walking down and we see a homeless person and we turn away? We don't look them in the eye. We don't stop and have a conversation with them. You know, why? Because there's a side of us that is fearful that we're going to get there, that that could happen to us. Yeah, that we're just, we're somehow going to, it's contagious or that we'll somehow yeah. be, we don't want to be exposed to it or we think we can't handle it. Right. And, you know, I spent, I spent some time when I lived in New York, I worked on an anarchist newspaper. And one of the things that we were really concerned with was the gentrification and, and homeless people being displaced, which, you know, ultimately it happened. But um, so that was some uh, homelessness is something that's very near and dear to my heart. And I'll never forget many years ago, my husband and I were walking around San Francisco and he befriended a homeless man named Zeus. And that's what he called himself. And Zeus had obviously a lot of issues and addiction issues, but my husband was just like, they were just friends. And my experiences being around the homeless in New York and understanding their situations and their plight and looking into the face and watching my husband just form this friendship, you know, out of the blue and seeing him as a human, I'm like, yes, this is what's needed in the world. We have to be able to look at those situations, not with fear, not with like repulsion, but with humanity, you know, again, compassion, it all comes down to that. And we can't just walk by horrible things or ignore it. We have to know that these things are happening in the world and around us so we can do something about it. Definitely. I mean, I think one of the, the issues that's facing the world today, it seems to be, is this ability to keep yourself inside of a bubble and your ability to hide and only connect with people with the exact same viewpoints huh? and, and that it's very difficult uh, for some people to handle kind of getting outside of it. And you can control that in terms of the feeds that you have digitally and what you read. And, and therefore, you know, we see these great schisms happening, but I think something huh? like this, like using your writing, using tarot, using conversations as a way to make your world bigger I think it has the power to make your writing better and to make the world better as well. Maybe I'm too Pollyanna, but I really do believe that. No, I believe it too. I believe, you know, I believe in being 100% present. I believe also in going into those places where our imaginations can take us, where we can see, you know, how to find a resolution for things. And you can't do that if you're hiding away. Exactly. You got to like, you got to be open to everything. I have people in my lives from so many different walks of life, not just clients, friends with very different viewpoints. And my thing is, as long as you're not abusive and mean, I'm willing to listen to your viewpoint. Yeah. Just don't be mean about it. Don't be abusive. Then we can talk. We can maybe find common ground or we can find a way to go deep and maybe, you know, find resolutions together. And I think with writing too, you know, it's writing and tarot and all these things, they're really about having a conversation. You know, when you're reading a book, you're having a conversation. When you're doing a tarot reading, you're having a conversation. Conversations is what heals. Definitely. I'm interested. This is the tension though, is that you have these moments where you think, okay, I have to hold up by myself to get this writing done. And at the same time, there's this desire to stay connected with the world and to stay engaged and have meaningful contact. So I'm wondering how you 
how you hold both sides of that, because you just had this year where you had too much writing and you had to not socialize mm-hmm. and hide in the house. And, and, and yet there is this need to stay connected and to stay involved. So how, how do you think people can approach doing both? Well, for me, I always make sure that I don't totally tune the news out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I know that if I spend too much time in the news, I get really bummed out. And yes. it can become excessive, and that's not good for me. But holding away and ignoring it, uh-uh. You know, my father was not an educated man. He was an eighth-grade educator, but he read the newspaper every day. And he was really into reading the news and knowing what was going on with current events, and he had lots of opinions about it, too. I grew up in a very political household. We always discussed politics around the dinner table. That was always a discussion. So my parents, as uneducated as they were, were really interested in what was happening in the world. So that curiosity and that need to know what's going on there, that's kind of in my system. And so one of the things I do is I I do make sure that I check the news in the morning. I want to know what's going on. And in the afternoon, I'll often check Twitter because Twitter seems to be the place where um, things break where suddenly if there's something going on in the world, you're going to find it on Twitter before anywhere else. So, you know, those are things that I allow myself, but I don't get stuck there. I don't spend all day. Let me go on CNN now and see what's happening, you know, with this polar ice vortex, you know, how much, how many more stories do I need to read about that? You know, so, uh, I make sure that I don't get obsessive, but I definitely don't want to not know. I never want to be in a bubble ever. I don't want mean stuff in my world, but I want to know, darn it, what's going on in the world. First of all, if you know what's going on in the world, you're going to know then exactly how to help people. Or if you're a creative, it's again, oftentimes inspiration happens from what's happening out there, not just what's happening within yourself. Definitely. I think this is just the forever tension. I'm very impressed at your ability to just like peek on Twitter or peek at the news because I cannot look at email at all until I've done my writing for the day. And then I reward myself by looking at it because otherwise it's just this vortex of like, oh, right, I got to write that person back. And that reminds me I got to do this thing. And and it just spirals out. And then it's suddenly the afternoon. (laughs) Well, email, I'm very disciplined on too. (laughs) (laughs) You kind of have to be, right? You have to be because my inbox often blows up and a lot of times it blows up with nonsense too. So, you know, one of the things that I have is I do have canned responses so Uh I can deal with things very, very quickly. And I like to clean out my inbox before I sit down to do my creative writing because like I say, if I've got a fire to put out, that's going to be on my mind. Now I'm distracted. I'm worried about this client. They want to set up their appointment. Let me quickly take care of it. So I go in in the morning, of course, after the cats are taken care of. Oh yeah. The cats have got to be first. And I go through that inbox, and if there's something important in the morning, like someone who needs to schedule an appointment, that gets priority. If there's a client who maybe they bought a digital product, it's not being delivered, they get taken care of immediately. I never leave my clients hanging, and I don't have a virtual assistant. Uh, Because of the nature of my work, I can't. Client confidentiality is super important to me as a tarot reader. I don't want anybody ever poking around in my inbox saying, oh, Carolyn, you know, Carolyn Dono. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) I never want my client's information. I don't even want you to know who my client is unless they feel like telling you. So my inbox is sacred. That's why there's no virtual assistant. So I want to go in and make sure I'm taking care of the people who need it. And then if there's some nonsense in there, I'll just delete or send them a canned response, you know, like blah, blah, blah here, go here. I'm not dealing with this. And so I'll take care of those things in my, or even if it's a nonsense one, I might let it sit for the day. I'll just get back to it when I feel like it. But if right. it's a client, I want to make sure that you know you're in good hands 
and you're taking care of it. And, you know, I learned that actually from bartending. When you bartend, when a client sits down and you're really busy, the first thing you do is you put down a napkin to let them know I've got you. Nice. I've seen you. You do something. Right. And then you come back to them and take care of them. So I'm a big believer in that. It's the bartender's mentality. Just let them know at least I've seen you. Okay, I'll come back to that. I like it. So, it's like the bartender's theory of business management. Yeah, there's actually a whole science behind bartending. Oh, I'm you sure. Know? I'm sure. It's so much bar rescue. They really show it quite well. It's very fascinating, actually. But if you're in any kind of customer service, you can't leave clients hang too long. Otherwise, you're not going to have a business. So I do take care of that inbox with the important stuff. I can get back to other stuff later in the day when I have a break, when I'm done with the tarot work. Now let me deal with the nonsense stuff. I'm so impressed. I just, I'm, I guess email is like crack for me or also my email inbox is a little bit of a mess right now. So I need to just set it aside and then I will give it all the attention like around 11 or 12. Then I'm like, okay, I can give you my full attention. But well, you Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I was just like, I, I, it's just interesting that we all have these kind of like, I must do this. It's like it it gets so fetishized, the writing routine, um, oh, yeah. how it's like, it's got to be done this way. This is the way and I know it works. And we figure these ways out that work and we have to stick to them. Well, I like to say it like this. I get to do this. Yes. And when you really approach it, like I get to do this, oh, I get to write today. Um, then I'm never looking at it like, oh God, I've got to get it done. Although I will tell you when I lost that manuscript, that oh, other box. Man. Oh my lesson for everybody. Lesson back up your work religiously and back it up to many locations. My daughter, who's a writer said, mom, what the hell were you doing? And I'm like, well, I guess I needed to learn this lesson. Oh, that's a <laughs> really painful lesson. I know I am totally paranoid about that. And the way I have it set up is I have my drafts auto saving into Dropbox so that I'm not worried if something burns down or something happens yep. that, you know, if the computer eats itself, that there's always another location. But I'm just, I, I had this happen. Actually, I think I was in high school and I had written a whole paper and I was just proofreading it. And it was like 10 o'clock at night and it was due the next day. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to check it over one more time. And it ate itself at 10 oh. o'clock at night. And it was like a 10 or 12 page paper, which to me at the time felt like the equivalent of an entire novel. And I yeah. had to rewrite the whole thing that night and I had nothing and I was just a mess. So ever since then, I've been absolutely paranoid about anything disappearing. Well, I think every writer has gone through this at one time or another. Oh, yeah. And again, that changes your whole equation. Instead of then approaching your writing like, oh, I get to write. It's like, oh, I got to get this done now. And that is just such a horrible place to work from. And it's the same with your inbox. You know, with my inbox, I don't want to look at it with dread. I want to look at it like, oh, I got to take care of somebody today. Ooh, I'm so glad this person showed up in my inbox today. So I really try to keep that mindset. Otherwise, it feels like one more chore, and that's just not a good feeling. Um, you know, if I think really how we approach our work and how we approach these duties and schedules, if we can approach it with that kind of mindset, it does really feel energetically different. And I'm telling you, it seems then that I can get the work done with ease, joy, and glory when I approach it like that. Ease, joy, and glory is an amazing way to get your work done, I have to say. Mm -hmm. That is like the the ultimate, the ultimate ability to work. Yeah, that's how I always want to work. And that's how I want to live my life. Ease, joy, and glory. 
And you don't get that when you look at things like, oh, I've got to do it. When you look at it like, ooh, I get to do this. Mm-hmm. You're setting the vibe. As weird as that sounds, it really works for me. Oh, definitely. I think that the that's that's one of the things I find with writing rituals is that it does set up a little bit of this, ooh, I get to do this. When mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think it's weird. I know people who, have, who wear weird jewelry to write, like whatever it takes. I'm like, if that makes you feel excited and fancy and into it, then do it. Oh, yeah, we all have our things that we need to do. I mean, you know, when I sit down to write and do my writing work, I have to I put on some music and the music I use is from a program called Focus at Will. Mm. And oh, my God, it's the best. I think Natalie Lucier turned me on to it. Okay. And she's um, she's somebody who does a lot of technology things. And she's one of the people that I just love her work because I also love a lot of things that are (laughs) non-creative. And I love reading about tech and all that stuff. I'm really super nerdy about that. Oh, it's so fun. Oh my God. Well, also it's taking you out of your, your usual brain. So, and I think that's also very important for creatives. Don't just read the same stuff. I mean, I don't sit around reading just tarot books. I read other things for inspiration. Right now, I'm reading the Marie Kondo series. We're decluttering the house. And, you know, um, I'm actually writing a blog post for this weekend all about that experience. I got totally inspired by that. So with Natalie, she she talked about this focus at will. And so I subscribed to it. And it plays like different types of music in the background that's really conducive for writing and working. So the first thing I do when I write, I get my mug of tea. I turn that focus on will, the focus on will, uh, focus at will on. And then I sit down and I get my work done and I make sure all of the distractions are off. Nice. And then I go. I love it. That's amazing. Well, I think if you're able to write two books and all of the blog posts you do and all of the many newsletters that you do and everything else, then I think it's worth checking all of this out. So (laughs) I want to thank you so much for coming on and, and talking to us about the experience. And then we have not one, but two more books from you to look forward to as they're coming out. So we'll keep everyone posted. Um, when are they both coming out again? You said one is in July, right? Tarot for Troubled Times is coming out in July. And the second book is, should be coming out in November. I'm still waiting for my publisher. You know, what's so interesting with publishers is you kind of don't really find out. And then suddenly someone writes you and says, Hey, I saw your new book is on Amazon and it's coming out. So-and-so date. That's been the experience <laughs> with every book I've written. So I know it should be coming out in November of 2019 and, uh, they accepted the manuscript and they showed me the possible cover. So it's, it's in production. So fun. That's yeah, great. It's like you get two presents in one year. It's like you worked real hard last year. So you get two presents of books this year. Oh, yeah. And you know what? I have two ideas, uh, two other book proposals that I want to give my publisher. Oh, man. I'm I'm like, Teresa, what are you doing? Oh, my God. Have you not learned? I know. So I just want to let you know that um, I'm tempted to tempt fate again. Someone's going to have to stop me. (laughs) Just do one. Just do one first. And then you can do the other one once you finish that one. I I think that's what it has to happen. Somehow I've got to stop this. I think you draw cards. You got to draw some cards and see which one gets the, you know, what the outcome is if you start with either of them and then see which one seems like the better one to start with. I think that's a great idea. I will do that. Also, you you should draw some cards as to what will happen if you try to do both again, because that may scare you into not doing it. Oh, I'm going to do it right now live. Oh my God, do it. Do it. Oh my God. So the card, if I, (laughs) this is how tarot is so fun. The card I picked, if I pull... 
if I decide to do two books in this next year, I got the six of wands, which means I'll be triumphant. Oh man. You'll Damn get it, a parade. You'll get a parade. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but do you have to my... do them both at the same time? I mean, you could do one and then the other. That's maybe what I'll have to do. Well, let's see if they even accept the proposals. They sound right. kind of interested. So we'll see. I think you could stipulate, I want to write both these books, but I want to do them not simultaneously. Yeah, with a break between them. Exactly. You could take a little vacation, have a little nap, do some reading. I think that sounds great. Sure does. Well, definitely keep us posted on what happens. And (laughs) I know everyone will be eager to hear what happened with the proposals and uh, if you've gotten yourself back into a crazy routine. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how 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 uh, impulsive I get with this, or cocky. I think is the better word. <laughs> I know. Oh my goodness. Well, now you've proven yourself right. You did it. Now you're gonna. It's like childbirth. You're gonna forget. Like, oh, it wasn't so bad. I got them all done. This was great. <laughs> yeah, that's what my dad said. He said when you give birth, he said it's the biggest pain that's the quickest forgotten. Yes. And so that's what convinced me to have a second child. And my daughter, I had an easy delivery. My son was bigger, and it was all in his head. It was a harder delivery. I thought, I got tricked into this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's really common because my brother, who's three and a half years younger than me, was over 10 pounds. Oh, God. Right. They were like, oh, you're not so bad. And then you end up with a 10-pound baby second time around. And then they said, maybe maybe we won't have three after all. (laughs) My mother had a traumatic birth with my, my brother, my older brother. And then she had me, and I came out feet first and oh, it was that it was the most horrific of all of her births and then she went and had two more after that wow that's bold i mean you had two terrible first births what were you thinking lady <laughs> i don't know you wrote two books at once and you thought it was terrible <laughs> now you're gonna write two more <laughs> ah it's but, funny how we get tricked into it <laughs> i know amazing well i look forward to hearing more and i'm so grateful you were able to share the experience with us along the way And I'm so grateful that you um, had me come back again. So thank you, Caroline. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for listening to the Secret Library podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this week's show. You can keep the conversation going by leaving a comment in the show notes at secretlibrarypodcast.com or visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash secretlibrarypodcast. You can also connect directly with me on Twitter or Instagram, where I'm Caro Donahue. That's at C-A-R-O-D-O-N-A-H-U-E. I look forward to chatting with you there. See you next week. Until then, happy writing.